0: Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no-fee sports betting. At BetterEdge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real-money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $20 free on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com.
1: Welcome to the Pint Glass Football
2: Podcast.
0: This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer, talk football. You know what it's about. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and Mackenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at Mackenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. Got another great show today, guys. Four NFL teams we thought would be good that are a total mess. Going to talk about the Colts tanking, where OBJ could sign, and more NFL with Tyler Greenawalt from Yahoo Sports. Then Adam Spencer of Saturday Down South is on the show to talk about the two huge college football games last Saturday in the SEC, and look ahead to a couple of this week's games as well. So let's crack a cold one and kick this off. All right, like I said in the intro, guys, I've got two great guests today talking some NFL and SEC football, but like I said, there's four teams in the NFL right now. Wanted to get my thoughts on these teams because after this Sunday, I realized that these teams are a mess. I want to start with the Arizona Cardinals. This team, well, they're more than a mess. They are a complete dumpster fire. According to Vegas right now, Cliff Kingsbury is now the odds-on favorite to be the next NFL head coach that's fired. Arizona gave extensions to Cliff Kingsbury, GM Steve Keim, and Kyler Murray last offseason. Now, they're stuck with Kyler, a guy who, as you guys know, I never bought into since the day he got drafted. I never bought into him. I never bought into Cliff Kingsbury. I said when they brought on Kingsbury and they drafted Murray, I didn't like either one of those picks. I thought I thought Kyler Murray would be a bust. Now, granted, he's been better than a bust, but not a whole lot better. I mean, he's talented, but he really hasn't done anything. And when Cliff Kingsbury got hired, I said, this is a guy who couldn't win at the college football level. When he was coaching at Texas Tech, he had a losing record, and now suddenly he was going to go to the NFL and improve as an NFL head coach. I just never saw it. This team has now lost four of their last five games and after that 7-0 start that they had last year, they've now gone 7-12 and since then. It's really come off the rails. And like I said a minute ago, giving extensions to all these guys, I think is going to prove costly because this situation is not getting any better. I don't think Kingsbury and possibly Steve Kime, the GM, I don't think either one of those guys are going to survive this season. Speaking of a mess, The Raiders might just be the most disappointing team in the NFL. They blew another huge lead last Sunday to Jacksonville. This is the third 17 or more point lead that they've blown this season. Look, it is over for Josh McDaniels as a head coach. You get an opportunity like this to coach a team that was a playoff team with a good quarterback, not a great quarterback, but a good quarterback, Good weapons, good receivers. You bring in one of the best wide receivers in the game, a team that won 10 games last year and made the playoffs, and now they're a tire fire. And look, I was wrong about this hire. I thought this would work. I really did. I thought Josh McDaniels would come in and this team was going to make some noise. I knew they were playing in a deep AFC and an AFC West that in the preseason we thought looked completely loaded, but now that we look at it, the Raiders and Broncos are both a mess. Both those teams had big expectations and aren't living up to them, but I think it's clear now that Josh McDaniels is one of those guys, he's on a long list of coaches that are just better off as coordinators because the Raiders just have too much talent on this roster to be this bad. And then two other teams that really a lot of us had big expectations for coming into the year was L.A. and Tampa Bay. These teams faced off on Sunday. Man, this was a terrible game to watch. I mean, you've got two offenses that are just awful right now, two teams that have been really disappointing. And before the season started, I mean, this was one of those circle the calendar type of games in the NFL, the last two Super Bowl winners facing off. But watching this game, it's just crazy how far these teams have fallen. They're 31st and 32nd in rushing, and both of them are bottom 10 offenses in scoring. I mean, this was a hard game to watch. Now, the game winner from Brady in that final drive, 44 seconds to go, no timeouts. The Rams are forced to punt. Brady takes it all the way down for the game-winning touchdown in the final seconds. That was awesome. I mean, that really was... Really, really cool moment, vintage Brady, but unfortunately, this is not a vintage Brady team, and neither are the Rams. That Rams team doesn't look anything like the Super Bowl team from last year. The Bucks certainly don't look anything like a Super Bowl contender anymore. It's over for these teams. I think the Bucks winning definitely keeps them in the mix in the NFC South because that division is so bad. There's still a really good chance they're going to win that division and get into the playoffs. But I think as far as being a legit contender, it's definitely over. And as far as the Rams, it is definitely over for the Rams. That Super Bowl window, I think, has closed. When you trade off all your assets, you give away all your draft picks, and you go all in on veteran players, this is what happens. Now, it paid off. You got a Super Bowl, and that's awesome. They won a Super Bowl. They cashed in on all those moves. But now they're left with basically no assets to rebuild, and I think things are going to get ugly in L.A. for the next couple years. All right, got two Twitter poll questions this week. First one, who won the Bradley Chubb trade? 23% of you said the Denver Broncos. 77% of you said the Dolphins. Look, I get it. Most people are going to favor the the team getting the high-level player versus the team getting cap space in a draft pick. I personally think Denver won this trade. I'm on the opposite side here of you guys. I talked about why I liked this move for them, but I also talked about this trade with guest Tyler Greenawalt from Yahoo Sports later in the show. He gives his thoughts on it as well, so stick around for that. The other Twitter poll question I had up this week was, was Alabama LSU the game of the year in college football? of you said yes, 55% said no. Look, this was the most watched ESPN regular season game in college football since 2016. This game was awesome. I mean, it had everything. Top 10 teams, rivals, great coaches, great atmosphere, great players, great play calling. Back and forth battle, it went Down to the wire, went into overtime. Brian Kelly going for two instead of kicking the extra point. Just a ballsy play call that paid off. I absolutely loved it. There's been some great college football games this year. Don't get me wrong, it's been a fun season. It always is. There's a couple that come to mind, but I think that this game, LSU Alabama, I think this game was just as good or better than any game we've seen in college football this year for all the reasons I just mentioned. I also talk about this game with Adam Spencer from Saturday down south later in the show as well. Like I said, two guests this week, guys, a little different, but a lot of great stuff with these guys. So be sure to stick around for that. But I've got to give out the college football week 10 helmet sticker. This is one of those no brainer ones. Didn't even have to think twice about it. SMU quarterback Tanner Mordecai. Listen to this stat line because it doesn't even sound real. He threw for 369 yards and nine touchdowns. Yeah, nine touchdowns. Absolutely ridiculous. That is video game stuff. Zero interceptions as well. And he did it on only 37 throws. Just ridiculous game. They knock off Houston 77 to 63. They needed basically all of those touchdowns to pull it off. Houston, on a side note here, has really become one of the more disappointing teams in college football, a team that a lot of people thought would be one of the better teams in the nation this year. They've been a big disappointment, but just a ridiculous, ridiculous performance by Tanner Mordecai. Incredible game by him. Now, the NFL Week 9 game ball is going to go to Bengals running back Joe Mixon. This was a career day for Mixon. 153 yards rushing, 7 yards per carry average, 4 rushing touchdowns, and he caught 4 balls for 58 yards and a touchdown as well. That's 5 total touchdowns on the day. He was basically the entire Bengals offense on Sunday. They get the win over Carolina really showed why he's one of the best running backs in the nfl and just a really complete player a guy that can do it all awesome game for joe mixon all right and just like last week this week the pick six is going to be on twitter am going to post it on twitter again just like i did last week be sure to check it out at pgf podcast last week on there went four one and one finally had a good week I've been getting roughed up with the betting picks but four one and one I will take it every single time really hope to keep things going this week so be sure to look out for that on Twitter excited to be joined by Tyler Greenawalt, who covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports Tyler thanks for coming back on the show
1: yeah thanks for having me Brad always appreciate coming on
0: Yeah, excited to have you back on. We had you on in August before the season started. It's cool to have you back on here. Talk some NFL football. We're kind of in that midway point. A lot of interesting stories going on. I want to start here, Tyler, with the situation in Indy. You wrote an article recently reporting on Colts owner Jim Ursay contacting Jeff Saturday before he fired Frank Reich. It's safe to say that this hire really caught a lot of people off guard. Tell us how this all went down.
1: Yeah, just from sort of the press conferences this past week with, with Ursay and Saturday, it sounds like, and, and Saturday confirmed this, Ursae called him during the, the Week 9 game, not about the job, he says, but just about kind of what's going on with the Colts and why they can't pass protect. They had like a ton of sacks against the Patriots. So that first call, it sounds like it was just kind of talk and shop. And then sort of later that night, Ursay called Saturday again and was like, hey, I'm going to let Frank go want to offer you the interim position if you're interested and then they spoke a third time on early Monday morning and that's when that's when everything went down so it's it's kind of like a weird whirlwind 12 hour cycle from just Saturday being a consultant for the Colts and being a ESPN analyst to now head coach of uh, one of 32 teams so it's strange I don't know or think if it's going to work they had a lot of a lot of solid coaches on that staff they they fired marcus brady just uh just a week ago and he could have been in a, a safe interim so i don't know it'll, it'll be interesting from from my sort of perspective just kind of my opinion it looks like they're just trying not to win like they're never going to be able to prove this is a tank job but all indications sound like this is a culture quote culture setting move where ursay just wants to bring in a guy that'll, that'll rally the team and kind of Keep everything afloat while obviously they're going to just probably continue to lose. They, that that roster is not, unfortunately, it's not built. They thought Matt Ryan would be the guy to hold it together, but the offensive line isn't working, the running game isn't working. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens, but it, it's it's just it's a little unfortunate too. And and I'm my my colleagues at Yahoo Sports, uh, Shalice manzie Young and uh, Charles Robinson wrote about kind of how strange it is to bring in a guy with no coaching experience when you have plenty of coaches on your roster who can, who can coach. And if you wanted a guy from, from the glory Peyton Manning years, Reggie Wayne sitting right there, he's on that staff. He has been a coach there. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see from a content perspective. It'll be great for all of us, but from a, from a field perspective, we'll, we'll see.
0: Yeah, this is such a bizarre hire. It just really came out of left field, and you touched on it. I don't know how, if I'm a Colts uh, coaching staff member, how I don't feel completely insulted by this move. It's just really bizarre. You touched on it. This feels like a tank job, and it's it's unfortunate, but it it feels like things have really just come unraveled there. I want to stick with the Colts for a second because this franchise, they went from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck, We know how great this franchise was in that era. Andrew Luck, unfortunately, abruptly retired because of injuries. Now the Colts franchise is starting to just, it's feeling like a circus here, Tyler. A Revolving door of veteran quarterbacks. We just touched on the coaching situation and how bizarre that is. What are your thoughts on this team and where they seem to be heading?
1: I mean, just from over the past couple of years, like they do not have an identity, as you mentioned, is that everyone probably knows they've gone through just a, a carousel of quarterbacks after Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. They're probably going to have another quarterback starting next year. Matt Ryan is going to be owed a ton of money, but they're better off just just tanking and trying to get one of these rookies or, or something. But I think with the Colts, they built a roster around Andrew Luck, and they tried to create sort of this this quick rebuild because they knew he was a quality player. And for the most part, they they failed and it's why it's part of the reason why he retired. And and instead of just giving into that, they kind of toiled in mediocrity. They went seven and nine with Brissett with the same roster that Luck had effectively. And then Phil Rivers took him to the playoffs, and that kind of blinded uh Ursay and, and GM Chris Ballard, I think, to kind of be like, Oh well, we're only we're only a quarterback away from competing. And the, the Wentz the once move didn't work, so they had to find a, a a second option. So like it's just a constant carousel of quarterbacks, as I mentioned. And and finally, the wheels came off. And the way they're going about it is strange. Like the whole Matt Ryan benching thing was like very obvious. Like we are not trying to win. And then firing Marcus Brady, who doesn't call the offensive plays, and then hiring Jeff Saturday over over Frank Reich. So like it, it's they're making it very obvious that they have given up on the Andrew Luck roster dream and is crazy and and dumb as this whole season has been for them it, it is the best move they should have done it years ago they should have done it right after rivers retired but they're they're gonna be far down in the afc for for a while now because they're gonna have to hit on quarterback and they're not gonna be able to spend a lot of money i i think it was uh over the cap that that reported they've spent the most money on different quarterbacks since 2019 it's it's an insane amount of money they've allocated to guys that just have not done anything. And then you see a team like the the Titans who just, they can trot out Ryan Tannehill or Malik Willis, and all they got to do is run the ball and they're good and have a good defense. And even the Jaguars who, though they are playing just as poorly as the Colts, they have shown the ability to perform on offense and on defense. And they're an ascending team if we want to categorize them that way. So the the Colts have finally decided to give up And it's a couple years too late, and now we're just kind of seeing not just like a wheel fall off. Like the whole wagon is just combusting in front of
0: us. Yeah, I don't think I could have said it any better. It it just does. It feels like this has been coming, and maybe I should have saw it coming because I'm going to point the finger at myself here. I thought the Matt Ryan move would stabilize that quarterback position. I, I didn't realize that the offensive line had deteriorated as bad as it, as it has. I thought that was still going to be a good enough O-line with with Jonathan Taylor in a run game. This was a team that I thought could make some noise this year, but you're right. It has gone in the completely opposite direction. They have fallen apart quickly, and they are waving the white flag, and And this franchise is due for a complete reset. But the way they're going about it just feels like a total mess and it's just, it's going to be fascinating. That's for sure. You touched on it. It's going to be a lot of great content for writers and podcasters like us. But, but man, what a mess it's become in an India and quickly it has become a mess. Now, I want to shift gears here. You reported recently that the Cowboys have interest in signing Odell Beckham Jr., which I think makes a lot of sense. They really need a number two wide receiver, but it sounds like multiple teams are interested. Two part question here, Tyler. Where do you think he goes, and where do you think the best fit for him would actually be?
1: Only Odell Beckham knows what he wants, and my—I—I I feel like he probably wants to—to to compete for another championship. I think Bart Scott said it best. I think a couple of weeks ago, when the whole Elijah Moore trade request from the Jets went down, the older you get, the less stats matter, and the more rings matter. And Odell Beckham got his first taste of of championship. Uh, last year with the Rams and I mean he could he could re-sign with the Rams again but it doesn't seem like they're trending in the direction he probably wants so I think in terms of a team that is competing for a title now that actually is interested in him I mean I think you got to look at obviously the Bills could use him especially because Diggs is is obviously their, their number one but behind him they don't have like a clear-cut guy Gabriel Davis has shown flashes but isn't there yet. Isaiah McKenzie is purely just kind of like one of those uh, change of pace slot guys who can kind of all break open the field if needed. So, I mean, I, in my opinion, I think he's going to choose the Bills just because they do have the best roster in the NFL currently. We'll see what happens with Josh Allen. Hopefully he's not too terribly injured, but I, I would probably pick the Bills. The Cowboys are intriguing though. And I, and I do think he would consider it in terms of just like from a branding perspective, they're obviously... Arguably, the the most valuable franchise sports franchise in the world, and they do have that need. I think the the Cowboys have seen what the offense looks like without someone like Amari Cooper alongside Ceedee Lamb and Michael Gallup, and Michael Gallup still has to get back from his own ACL injury. Um, he he hasn't looked as good as he used to. So, I, I think. Beckham would be a very cool fit with that offense and just kind of being able to accomplish what he was able to accomplish with the Rams and not having to be like, he's not going to sign with the team that needs him to be the number one. Like he's coming off an ACL injury. He is not the Odell Beckham that caught that ridiculous catch in, in eight years ago or whenever that was. So I, I would say putting the, the Cowboys and the bills at the top of the pecking order, the chiefs, everyone will include the chiefs just because they have Mahomes. They have the firepower. They have that Andy Reid offense. But Odell Beckham's not going to see many targets. They just traded for Kadarius Tony. They already have Juju Smith-Schuster. They already have Travis Kelsey. They have a stable of running backs that they that they deploy. So, I mean, Kansas City would be fun from from just like being there for for Odell Beckham. But if he truly wants to be like a contributor, I think he'd want to go to the Cowboys or or the Bills. And I know like the Packers and the Buccaneers. And, and again, the Rams are included, in, and even people are saying the Giants reunion is a possibility as well. I just see those two teams as being kind of the clear favorites. A wild card could come out. I remember last year, no one was thinking Rams were going to sign him. They, everyone was thinking it was going to be someone like the Packers or the Bucks, and the Rams came out of nowhere. So we could be surprised. But I think I think Bills and, and Cowboys do make the most sense in terms of Odell Beckham making a play for a championship and being on a team that can use his skill set to the best of of both his ability and, and the team's needs.
0: Yeah, those are great points, Tyler. I think the Bills make a lot of sense. Like you said, a Super Bowl roster, a team that has just about everything they could need to make that type of a run. He could also be a good fit as a number two, number three type of option there. You touched on the Chiefs. It kind of fits as far as like, here's a Super Bowl team, but you're right. It's a crowded wide receiver room. And I'm not sure he would be a a true number two or three option there. And I think that wouldn't be as appealing for him. I think the Cowboys are interesting though because like you said, this is a team that just really could use his skills and they desperately need a number two wide receiver. And with the NFC feeling really wide open right now, I don't think we can count the Cowboys out as far as being a team that could really make some noise this year. So I think it makes a lot of sense because this is a guy that, like you said, is, is more about the rings and the team's success at this point in his career. We saw after that Rams win, there was some footage of him being very emotional after that Super Bowl win. You could tell how much it meant to him. And I think you're right. He's going to want to play for a contender speaking of players moving here tyler we had an active trade deadline this year in the nfl i already gave my thoughts on a lot of the key players changing teams on a recent episode but you did a great job covering it all for yahoo sports what trades did you really like and were there any that you didn't think were good moves i i think
1: the move that kind of mattered the most in terms of how it affects the rest of the NFL is, is the Dolphins trading for Bradley Chubb because I think the Dolphins were, were kind of this team teetering on competitiveness. Like They looked like a team that certainly from an offensive perspective could make a run at, at the very least the, the wild card in the AFC, um, but the defense still lacked kind of that punch that needed to push them over the edge. I think Chubb accomplished that. Or will accomplish that because they're going to finally have that threat on the outside of the defense that can can make quarterbacks kind of quiver a little bit and 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 give them sort of the opportunity on the back end to make plays that stop teams from making all these comebacks. And it, they still need a lot of help, I think. Like you you look at what happened with the Bears; like they almost they've almost lost to the Bears. They had to make that wild comeback against the Ravens. So I, I think the Chubb trade is obviously the biggest. Of, of the trade deadline trades, exactly. But I, I think that's the most impactful. A lot of people will say the McCaffrey trade is bigger. And I would agree to an extent, but only because he's in San Francisco. And I think they were able to get people in space regardless of their, their talent ability. Like you saw what they did kind of with Debo playing all over the place and just having another guy in, in McCaffrey. But I think the Chubb trade is just very much like fixing one specific area of need on a team that is looking to compete for uh, at the very least a a playoff spot right now. Whereas the the 49ers had the tools um, on offense and they kind of have a few other areas of need on defense that I think they could have addressed as well. So that, that, that's my, that's my pick. Curious kind of what you think.
0: Yeah. I talked about both those moves, of course. I think those you highlighted were two of the really high profile moves that we saw uh, at near the trade deadline. The McCaffrey trade, I think, was just a home run. They gave up a lot for him, but this is a guy that I think is going to be so dynamic in that offense. It's such a perfect fit as far as, like you touched on, what he can do in that offense, what Kyle Shanahan can do with a player like him. We've already kind of seen that on display recently with all the different ways they've utilized him. I think that move just gives that offense a whole other dynamic, and for me, that was probably the most impactful move for a team that's sitting at 500 but I think is a legit contender in the NFC still especially after that move the Bradley Chubb move makes a total sense I agree with what you're saying there as far as them needing a pass rusher needing some pop on that side of the ball my takeaway was that they gave away too much for it though I felt like here you are signing a guy with a, now a big contract extension for a player who hasn't played a full season since his rookie year he's missed a ton of time and it just is kind of a big course. Now, you could say the same thing about McCaffrey, but I feel like with Chubb, the big contract is kind of what I'm getting hung up on and giving up a first-round pick as well. I'm not sure the Dolphins are as close to a Super Bowl team as they think they are. They're kind of acting like a team that's win now. I think they're a good team, but in a deep AFC... I still don't think this gets him over the top. It felt like a lot for a guy who's not been a very reliable player, a a player who's a a superstar when he's on the field, Mm -hmm. but he does miss a lot of time. So that would be my only hang up with that move.
1: The, The Dolphins gave up a first round pick, meaning that in my opinion, they have bought into the Tua experience. Because if you have that pick and he bottoms out, you're probably going to try and get a quarterback in this kind of quarterback heavy draft class. But so by giving that up, especially after you lost the first one uh, with the tampering scandal, you're all in on him. So I, I think that's kind of the all in move that that you need to make. But here, here's the thing I think both of these trades could certainly be called the most impactful. There were a ton of trades, uh, and there were also a ton of trades that didn't happen. But I think the 49ers are a team that needed. They always need playmakers. You put as many playmakers on a Kyle Shanahan offense and they're going to be unstoppable. Um, so I think the McCaffrey move is just going to be I mean, it already was super exciting in the first full game. He had three different touchdowns in three different ways. So, yeah, it, it was fun. I, I do wish there were a couple more. I wish Kareem Hunt got moved. I wish uh, I wish Jerry Judy got moved. But I think the Broncos did a interesting thing in getting rid of one franchise player, but keeping another, which means they're kind of like towing the line of is this going to be a season where we compete? Or is this just going to be a season where we kind of try and figure ourselves out?
0: Yeah, I I touched on that on a recent episode too because I thought that the Bradley-Chubb move, it totally makes sense why Miami would want a guy like that. But I actually thought the Broncos made a nice move there because they were going to have to sign him to a big extension. Now they free up some cap space for a team that's, let's face it, they've been disappointing from where their expectations were. And they have a guy, Baron Browning, who's really starting to come on. And I think they see this young guy starting to come on. They think, okay, we have a cheaper replacement that we can plug that hole with and save ourselves a lot of money, and get a first-round pick in return, I actually thought it was an outstanding move from from their side of things. Now, you made a comment recently on Twitter where you said, other than the Eagles, I have no idea who is good. <laughs> Tyler, I love this comment because I think a lot of fans are feeling this way. It's been a crazy year. A lot of teams that we thought would be good aren't. Like I talked about just a second ago, the Broncos, for example, the Packers, the Rams. And a lot of teams that we thought would be bad are good, like the Jets, Giants, and Seahawks. I don't ever remember a year where it felt like so many teams are still in it. So kind of big picture thoughts here on the season and what we've seen so far.
1: Yeah, I, I think for the most part, you look at the team that was projected with the best Super Bowl odds, the Bills. They are very clearly, if not the best team, among the best teams in the nfl i, I know the jets loss hurts i know they lost to the dolphins which hurts he, being winless in the division especially competitive afc east will not be kind to them by the end of the year unless they pick it up everyone knew the bills were going to be good they are good uh, a lot of people picked the eagles as kind of like this dark horse good team and in the nfc east and they ended up being even better than we thought jalen hurts looked in, looks incredible they also have an incredibly easy schedule but hey, you know what, you win the games in front of you and, and they're winning them. So I think you can put them and and kind of the Chiefs among the top three. And I think with everyone else, it's just a, it's a combination of opportunity and the fact of uh, coaching playing a huge role now. I, I think in the past, teams have sort of relied on playmaking ability, especially the quarterback position to kind of pushed them over the edge and when maybe coaching really wasn't that important. You saw that a lot with in Green Bay with uh, Aaron Rodgers. You saw that with Tampa Bay and uh, and Tom Brady, obviously. And, and for whatever reason, whether it be age, scheme, defense is kind of figuring out these players, quarterback just hasn't been important anymore. Uh, and you kind of see like fantasy football is interesting because it doesn't always translate to reality but in this case it kind of does i can't i don't know the exact stat but plenty of fantasy football analysts have, have noted that this is the year where unless you have one of the best quarterbacks whether it be jalen hurts josh allen lamar jackson or uh or patrick mahomes unless you have one of those guys none of the quarterbacks really matter no one is playing at a high level apart from those four players um and you kind of see Production and wins come elsewhere, defense, the running game, kind of just manufacturing wins. Like the, the Jets being six and three is insane because they have Zach Wilson at their quarterback. And we all know that Zach Wilson has not shown the ability to be that guy yet. You see a guy like Kirk Cousins go seven and one with a new coach, pretty much the same team, brand new coach. It, it's It's interesting to see. And I don't even know how to sort of like compute how much coaching matters but seattle is a perfect example where they had the opportunity to completely rebuild hit hit the detonate button get rid of russ get rid of pete carroll get rid of their gm and kind of move forward with that and all they did was get rid of the quarterback and now they're leading the nfc west with because they have geno smith who's been in the system since 2019 they have a really good running game with a good offensive line and their defense is playing at a high level kind of like what they did in the early russ years so i think What you're seeing is coaching matters more than ever before, and it's maybe not specific to having a superstar quarterback unless you got one of these top four guys.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting you put it that way, because listening to you talk there, I, I was kind of running it through my head as well, thinking, gosh, you're right. It's been really unusual in that way because we've seen some really good teams that don't have the star named quarterback. The the New York teams with Daniel Jones and, and Zach Wilson and like you touched on, Geno Smith and some of these guys that we really didn't think would be able to carry teams to this type of record or playing at a high level and you also touched on the defense. You mentioned fantasy football. We focus a lot on football betting on this show and, and one thing I know has been a really heavy trend is the under. Yeah. We've seen an unprecedented amount of unders hitting this year. It's been a very defensive driven league this year and the scoring is down. It's It's been fascinating. It really has. And it's always fascinating when I have a guy like Tyler Greenwald on the show. He covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. Be sure to check out his work at YahooSports.com. It's always a great read and it's always great having you on the show. Thanks again, Tyler.
1: Yeah, this was awesome, Brad. Thanks for having me again. Always, uh, always happy to come on whenever you need me.
2: Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge. Bringing the edge back to the betters with no-fee sports betting. At BetterEdge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank. BetterEdge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Play the game without getting played at BetterEdge.com.
0: Excited to be joined by Adam Spencer, who's an editor and writer for SaturdayDownSouth.com. You guys got to also be sure to subscribe to the Saturday Football Newsletter. Adam, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, Brad. I'm uh, I'm excited to be a first time guest.
0: I yeah, I love first time guests. I love having guys like you on the show. It's going to be an absolute blast. You guys cover SEC football at Saturday Down South better than anyone. I absolutely love the website, the podcast, all the great content from you guys is just fantastic. Last Saturday, Adam featured two of the most watched college football games of the entire year. Both had major playoff implications. I want to take a look at these games with you, get your thoughts. Let's start with Georgia-Tennessee. Georgia really flexed in this one, Adam. We know last year's defense at Georgia was incredible, but this year's defense has now shut down two of the top three offenses in all of college football as far as points per game, Oregon Week 1 and now Tennessee. How good is this year's Georgia team? It might sound crazy, Adam, but have we been sleeping on the defending champs?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, they were getting the right amount of respect in the coaches and uh, AP polls. You know, they were they were at number one in those heading into this game. But, uh, you know, I have no problem with, uh, with Tennessee getting that number one nod in those initial rankings because their resume was frankly better. You know, they had a win over Alabama. They had a win over uh, Pitt on the road and Pitt was ranked at the time. You know, they went and, you know, defended their home territory against Florida and Florida, you know, is a up and down team. But they went into Death Valley, which we just saw is no easy task. And they absolutely blew the brakes off of LSU. So, you know, I I was I was fine with the with the Vols getting the number one spot in the first CFP rankings. And, you know, then that's why you play the game. And uh, Georgia was like, no, you know, we're the better team and let us prove that But uh, you know, I just, I just think Georgia is uh, is the best team in the country now, and they've emphatically proven that. And uh, you know, I I don't think that they're going to face too many challenges before the SEC championship game here.
0: Yeah, with this win, it really looks like they've cleared the path for that. And you're right. This team is just head and shoulders better than everybody in the country right now. And I think they made a big-time statement with that win over Tennessee. Like you said, Tennessee came in with a good resume, a really good team, probably deserving, like you said, of that that ranking. But Georgia definitely flexed in that game. Now, I want to flip it to Tennessee here for a sec because this has been a great story this year, this season, the program, you know, they've got history, but this program really hasn't been very relevant for several years. But head coach Josh Heupel has really turned things around at Tennessee. But this loss hurts. I mean, this, this one's going to sting. Now, did the dream season of the national championship and Hooker winning the Heisman, did that all go up in smoke last Saturday? Or do you see any path for them to get back into the mix there? Um,
2: I think that Hooker's Heisman, Hopes definitely took a major hit. You know that was a that was a really tough game for him. He was overthrowing people. He didn't have much much time to throw, but uh, he also wasn't being very accurate when he did. I think that his Heisman hopes are in life support right now. But uh, as as for the Vols, they're still very much in the playoff mix. I mean, Clemson's loss definitely hurt them or helped them. Alabama losing for a second time this regular season really helped the Vols. Um, now they need Alabama to win out to maintain the ranking. Uh, you know LSU being so good in a top 10 team really helps, really helps Tennessee. So they still have the resume and sitting at 11 and one with a lot, with their only loss being by two touchdowns to the number one team in the country, that's going to cruise to the number one spot in the playoff rankings. You know, you look at, you look at the current playoff rankings and they're only at number five and, uh, you know, either Ohio state or Michigan is going to lose and not advance to the big 10 title game. Uh, TCU still has a tough road ahead because there are so many decent squads in the in the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, are they going to put a one loss Oregon team in ahead of Tennessee? Well, Tennessee went into a true road game and hung tougher with Georgia than Oregon did. So, I, I think that the path is still very much there. And if Tennessee takes care of business, frankly, I would be surprised if they didn't get the three or four seed, probably the three seed, just because they wouldn't want to put. Georgia and Tennessee a rematch in the semifinals if they can avoid it
0: I think the tendon hooker really not performing very well in that game I think you're right the the Heisman is probably out the window for him but but I think you're also right about Tennessee still being in the mix here I think they they do have a path to the playoff you laid it out perfectly if they take care of business I think they're going to be in that discussion and they probably should be so Now, I want to shift to maybe the game of the year, Alabama-LSU. This one was an absolute blast. Brian Kelly and the Tigers pull off a monster win in overtime, essentially ending Alabama's chances of making another college football playoff. A lot of different directions we could go here, but what are your main takeaways from this game, and what could it mean going forward for these two programs?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Brian Kelly really made a statement. You know, he came to LSU to win games like this. And, uh, you know, in his first try against Alabama, he's now 1-0 and against Alabama as the coach at LSU. So, you know, that's a major statement there. Credit to to him and his staff for turning things around. Uh, that, that week one loss to Florida State was not great. But, uh, you know, other than that, they've been, with one hiccup against Tennessee aside, you know, they've been really, really good. Jaden Daniels deserves some fringe Heisman contender uh, talk around him. He's been really good taking care of the ball, making plays with his legs. He's increasingly getting more comfortable with his receivers, which is a scary thought. Uh, So, you know, I I really like what Brian Kelly has done there in such a short amount of time, turning that program around uh, after it had cratered a little bit after the 2019 title. Now, as for Alabama, like, I am a little concerned about this. You know, there's so much NFL talent on that team. You know, there's potentially two of the first three picks, maybe even the first two picks in and Will Anderson Jr. and Bryce Young. There's just a lot of NFL talent. We're going to see a lot of these guys playing on Sundays. Jameer Gibbs is going to be a first or second round pick. You know, there's a couple guys in the secondary who might be day one or day two picks. So I just, I just am really disappointed. They're just very undisciplined, making a lot of mistakes that uh the Nick Saban coached teams don't usually make. You know, I think that the path forward for this team is just after this year, you just got to basically hit a total reset with the coordinators. You got to, I, I think you do have to get rid of Pete Golding and Bill O'Brien, you know? Alabama is going to fit, probably finish with a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense, and then, but then you just get to it and you just look at some of these offensive play calls and how much is asked of Bryce Young to be truly special rather than playing within the flow of a great play call. You know, Tua was an elite quarterback. Mac Jones was an elite quarterback, but those guys didn't have to play hero every single snap in a clutch situation because Steve Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin, you know, these Mike Loxley, these guys drew up, more coherent plays that uh, the quarterbacks actually could work within the system to to make. And Bryce Young just has to do everything himself, and that's not fair to him. So I think you just have to reset at the coordinator positions this offseason.
0: I want to follow up here with this. I Recently, Paul Feinbaum came on ESPN and made a big statement when he declared that college football had caught up to Alabama. What are your thoughts on that? Is that an overreaction, or do you think there's some validity to that statement?
2: No, the, I don't think that college football has caught up to Alabama. I think Georgia has caught up to Alabama. And, you know, there's always been, even in Alabama's title years, There, I think, you know, Saban has six titles at Alabama, and I think only two of them were undefeated seasons all the way through. So a regular season loss isn't necessarily out of the question. I, I think that two losses is... Definitely concerning, but has the rest of college football caught up? No, Georgia has, and that's that's the concerning spot because Georgia has not only caught up, but these past this past year and a half now, heading into two years, they've exceeded Alabama. So that's that's who you have to measure yourself against now, and it's no surprise that Kirby Smart was one of Nick Saban's favorite assistants of all time. You know, he, he's proving why with the program that he's built. In Athens and uh and yeah, so it's it's Alabama, it's Georgia, and then can they get beat by some teams every now and then? Sure, but they're still far and ahead of the pack, especially when you consider the recruiting rankings.
0: Yeah, the recruiting rankings really tell a lot because I think you're right. I think it's a little bit of an overreaction because I think you hit it on the head. I think Georgia has caught up to Alabama. And I think the rest of the SEC is very competitive, like we've seen with with Tennessee's rise and some of these other programs. It might be as deep as it's ever been. And that's a pretty big statement considering how good this conference has been over the years. But to say that the rest of the culture is caught up, I do think was a bit of an overstatement. But I think you're right. When you look at the recruiting, Georgia is now recruiting at that level or even above that level that Alabama has. And Alabama has been so dominant when it comes to getting the top tier players and Georgia has done an equal or better job in that regard, and it's starting to really show on the field. So I think that's a great point by you. Now, there's speaking of head coaching here, there's a big job opening in the SEC, and that's at Auburn. Your colleague Matt Hayes at Saturday Down South wrote a great article on why he thinks the Tigers should go after Dion Sanders. What do you think of the possibility of Dion going to Auburn?
2: Yeah, I think Dion would do great things at Auburn. You know, I, people... People get too caught up, in my opinion, on, well, he doesn't have that much coaching experience. You know, he's coaching it. That, but, like, you don't need the on-field coaching experience in this day and age. Like, he is a great personality and he's he's a good CEO. Like, he's hired good assistants who have come with him. He, he recruits at an elite level. So Shane Beamer has turned around... South Carolina to an extent after it bottomed out under Will Muschamp, he doesn't call plays on either side of the ball. He's just a CEO who runs things, you know. Nick Saban doesn't call plays anymore. He just runs things. Kirby Smart doesn't call plays. Brian Kelly doesn't call plays. So, you know, these are some of the best coaches in the in the country here in the SEC and uh, you know, these guys don't call plays on game day. They just run the program. And yeah, they have a hand in everything on game day maybe more than Deion Sanders would, but college football is about recruiting these days. There's no better recruiter out there than Deion Sanders, especially if you stick him that close to Atlanta, he's going to get a ton of talent. So I think either Auburn or Georgia tech needs to hire him and, uh, just give him some time to do his thing. I think he'll get a ton of talent in the portal. I think he'll get a ton of elite freshmen. He's already proven that heck. I mean, he could even get Travis Hunter to come along with him from Jackson state if he wants to go that route. So I just, I just really think that, uh, that Deion Sanders is going to be a successful power five head coach and it's okay that he's not going to necessarily call plays on either side of the ball because he doesn't need to. And frankly, some of these head coaches, you know, Eli Drinkwitz and Jimbo Fisher should give up play calling duties and just focus on being a CEO on game days.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I think you're right. I think sometimes we get too caught up in looking at coordinators or guys that this guy's a great X's and O's coach or he's a great mind, he's a great play caller, so forth. I think sometimes we forget that you're right. It is more of a CEO position and you're overlooking an entire program. There's a lot more to it than designing plays and drawing up plays and calling plays. Not that that isn't important, but I, I like your take there. I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, I want to take a look here ahead. We talked about some huge games last week. We've got some not quite as big, but we have two big games in the SEC coming up on Saturday that I want to take a look at. First is a sneaky good matchup between LSU and Arkansas. We know about the job Brian Kelly has done so far at LSU, but Arkansas coach Sam Pittman took over a program that was a total mess, and he has them going in the right direction. The odds makers in Vegas think that this game is going to be a close one. What do you think? I, I don't necessarily
2: think that. I, I think that this Arkansas program has issues. Um, I, I think that that defense is not great at all. Uh, and now they have a couple of suspensions to deal with, including uh, Miles Slusher, who's uh, who has been a key player. You know, it's it's going to be tough for them to uh, stop that LSU offense. You know, maybe maybe the. Uh, the Arkansas offense, you know, with K.J. Jefferson, with, uh, you know, Rocket Sanders is just torching everybody. Uh, you know, Jaden Hazelwood's playing some of his best ball. Trey Knox is a red zone threat who seemingly only catches touchdowns. Uh, so they have some firepower on offense, but uh, I don't think that they can hang with Jaden Daniels and, in, uh, in, you know, that receiving core for 60 minutes without, you know, wearing down and allowing some big plays.
0: That one really jumped out to me when I saw that line was LSU only a three point favorite. It really raised some eyebrows and I instantly started thinking, okay, what do the guys in Vegas know about this game? What do they see as far as matchups that makes them think that this game is going to be that close? So that's definitely an interesting take there. I want to jump to another big SEC game. The Crimson Tide. They look to bounce back after that tough loss to LSU. Now at seven and two. Alabama takes on eight and one Ole Miss. What should we be watching for in this matchup?
2: Lane Kiffin's been talking about it all week. You know, he says he says he hates that everybody's talking about, oh, Alabama's dynasty's coming to an end and stuff. He's been calling it goat fuel, because uh, it's fueling Nick Saban. Uh so I think that, you know, Alabama's gonna be hungry to make a big statement here, but you know, this this team has really, really struggled on the road. You know, they they lost at Tennessee. They lost at LSU. You know, they've they struggled elsewhere. You know, they only beat Texas by the skin of their teeth in week two. So they commit too many penalties on the road. And now is Oxford the same atmosphere as Rocky Top? Is it the same as Death Valley? Is it the same as Longhorn Stadium? No. And that's that's where, like, I think that this is going to be a little bit better of an effort from Alabama on the road. You know, the crowd won't be that intimidating. So I, I do think Alabama wins, but I I really think that this is going to be a lot closer than people might expect because, you know, that Ole Miss offense, they can run it better than almost anyone in the country. You know, they're, they're like third in the country in rushing yards behind only like Air Force and Navy or something like that. So they just pound you on the ground over and over again. And, you know, that's going to be a problem for this Alabama defense that has struggled to get in some of their biggest road tests. I also think that uh, it's just going to come down to, you know, last year Lane Kiffin said the get your popcorn ready thing. They had a couple of uh, early fourth downs that didn't go their way. But like this year, too, Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin, like they just they keep going for it on fourth down and, you know, they get it sometimes. But there's a lot of these key situations where they just... Just fail and puts them in bad situations. So I really think that you know I like the aggressiveness because the analytics do say that you should go for it, but you know you gotta you gotta make a good play call, and that's what the analytics don't get. So I would like to see some uh, revamped fourth down play calls from Lane Kiffin. But if they can do that, they'll be in it in the fourth quarter, and that's all you can ask for against Alabama.
0: Yeah, that should be a fun one. I'm looking forward to that game. It's an interesting matchup. I think, like you touched on there, the running game for Ole Miss is certainly going to be something to watch and see if they can control this game, shorten this game, and if they can... Really uh, get things going up front there with that offensive line. It's going to be really fascinating to watch. And it's always fascinating when you have a great guest like Adam Spencer on the show, editor and writer for SaturdayDownSouth.com. Also, make sure you guys subscribe to the Saturday Football Newsletter as well. Adam, great stuff today. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Happy to do it.
0: That is going to do it for today's episode presented by Better Edge. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on new episodes, and we'll catch you next time.
2: Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.